0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. By your grace and mercy, Lord God, help us not only to believe in the cross, but to bear the cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our passage this morning lies at the center of the Gospel of Mark. The disciples have observed Jesus' teaching and healing. They have been attracted to him because of his power, both in proclamation and over the powers. And he has gone as far north as he will go to the region of Caesarea Philippi on the border of the world and Israel. And he asks a very simple question. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered. Some say John the Baptist, one of the prophets, or Elijah. Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? And Peter simply says, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. This is in contrast to Matthew, who gives us more of the discourse. Mark gives us more bullet points. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter responds, and then Jesus says, Be sure to be quiet. Be silent about that. The confession, they understand but they do not yet understand what is involved with this confession. They believe in the title, but they don't understand the truth. They expect a Messiah who will be a nationalistic figure, rescuing the people of Israel from Rome's domination, a Messiah that will come and kick out the Gentiles, and rule from Jerusalem. That's why Jesus says, be silent. Don't tell people about this. Because they do not yet understand what is involved in following him. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will say, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, But only those who do the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. They used the title, but they didn't understand the commitment. So Jesus goes on to explain plainly how he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer and he will be killed by the religious leaders and on the third day he will rise again the disciples were not expecting this they had not yet linked Isaiah's suffering servant to the Messiah we all like sheep have gone astray and everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all they haven't gotten that yet. They haven't connected to Abel's sacrifice of a lamb or the Passover lamb or Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac. They haven't connected to David's, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of that's disconnected from the meaning of the Messiah. What we really see with, in the light of Jesus, with eyes to see and ears to hear, is that woven into the fabric of salvation history is the cross. That every genre, every image, every parable, every act is connected to, pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. But not only does history, salvation history, point to the cross, but creation itself, nature, points to the resurrection The Big Bang and the wonder of DNA and the complexity of the living cell. The more you know about science, the more the wonder and reality of the resurrection makes sense. So you've got history on the ground pointing to the cross, you've got science and creation pointing to the resurrection, but the disciples don't see that connection yet. He must suffer, he must be killed and after three days, rise again from the dead. They envision a successful Messiah, not a crucified Messiah. I think the terrible shock of this to the disciples is hard to replicate in our time. But perhaps one way to put ourselves in the disciples' place is to draw a connection between crucifixion and lynching. The National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery is dedicated to the legacy of enslaved black people, people terrorized by lynching, Americans humiliated by racial segregation and Jim Crow. More than 4,000 American men, women, and children were lynched between 1877 and 1950. And there they are memorialized at that national monument. James Cone in his book The Cross and the Lynching Tree writes, both the cross and the lynching tree are symbols of terror, instruments of torture and execution, reserved primarily for slaves, criminals, and insurrectionists, the lowest of the low in society. Both Jesus and blacks were publicly humiliated, subjected to the utmost indignity and cruelty. They were stripped in order to be deprived of dignity, then paraded, mocked, and whipped, pierced, derided, and spat upon, tortured for hours in the presence of jeering crowds for popular entertainment. But strangely, no African-American preacher that we know of connected the cross and the lynching tree. They did not use lynching as a launch to speak about the cross. I asked my gifted colleague, Dr. Robert Smith, Jr., who is a great African-American preacher of the gospel, and the more you know him personally, the more you realize that there's just all depth there. He really is the real thing. And he succinctly responded to me when I asked him the question, why not the connection? He said, In the African-American mind, there was absolutely nothing, nothing that pointed to redemption in the lynching. It was an atrocity beyond anything to do with any hint of redemption. Secondly, he said, the African-American pastor could never see anything of hope of the resurrection in the act of lynching. And then thirdly, he said, but the cross to the African-American believer points to the only power that is able to redeem an evil so hideous as lynching. So by way of comparison, the lynchings helps us see the horror of the cross and of what God in Christ took upon himself because of our sin. But by way of contrast, the cross is necessary to redeem such evil, both of the person who is the victim as well as the perpetrator of such evil. So the cross and the warning to be silent because they didn't understand the Messiah. Two, the root to the fulfillment of the Messiah was through a means that no one anticipated and yet was clearly spoken of throughout the Bible. But then Jesus doesn't leave it there. There's a third paragraph here in Mark's Gospel. He calls the crowd together. The group beyond disciples. He he calls them together and then he speaks to the disciples that unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you don't belong to me. And anyone who is ashamed of me before this sinful and adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of them when I come in glory. This is a warning to us of a Christianity that is kind of a, a talking head Christianity a Christianity that's in theory, as opposed to not only do I believe in the cross, the doctrine of the cross and the atoning sacrifice of Christ on my behalf, but I also live under the cross. Two illustrations, one soft and one hard. Dwayne Lifton, the president of Wheaton College, was asked to Give an invocation, a prayer, at a secular academic gathering. He thought for a moment when the convener asked him, and he asked him, and he said, "Will this be a problem for you, the convener, if I pray in the name of Jesus?" The convener thought for a few moments and he said, "Yeah, it would be. It would be an offense." So Dwayne declined the opportunity to lead in prayer. Because, he said, I know that scripture doesn't say anywhere you've got to pray in the name of Jesus. He said, I believe that Jesus is the one mediator between God and mankind. And this is the universal truth that belongs to all people. And he said, I decided this a long time ago. What I would do in a, in a case like that, if somebody asked me to come to a conference, but please don't bring your wife. Some of us really don't like her. So just come yourself. And he said, that choice has been made a long time ago when I married my wife, that I would n- certainly never be embarrassed of her and always be proud of her. And that's his analogy for whatever the circumstance, owning up to the fact that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Faluani, a tribe of Muslim nomadic cattle herders in northern Nigeria have been collaborating with Boko Haram in Nigeria to attack Christian villages. Several hundred Christians were killed this summer because they follow Jesus Christ. My colleague Jerry McDermott experienced this firsthand in July. He was there visiting Bishop Kawashi, a friend of this congregation, and he taught at the Anglican Institute there. The story is told in Voice of the Martyrs of a man, 26 year old man by the name of Abel, a Muslim, a Fulani Muslim, who received a dream one night. He had no Christian influence whatsoever in his life, and he received this dream of a man dressed in white saying, Leave Islam and come follow me. Three nights in a row he had this dream. He shared it with his father, a devout Muslim, who was upset with the dream and said, it must be demonic, you need to pray your Muslim prayers more. But Abel kept getting the dream of a man dressed in white saying, leave Islam and come follow me. He shared it with a Christian. He was having this strange dream and the Christian writer said, well, that's Jesus calling you to follow him. And he put him in contact with his pastor who gave him a Bible and he began reading about Jesus, understanding what he had not understood about Jesus before. And after a while, he became a Christian. He kept it a secret from his family until his family somehow found out and his father kicked him out of the house. He went to another city, but the family was so angry that Abel had come to Christ that they kidnapped him from that city, brought him home, locked him in a room, tried to starve him, they beat him, his brothers stabbed him, till finally his heartbroken mother unlocked his door one night and he fled. That was 10 years ago. And today, Abel is training muslim converts as how not to be ashamed of Jesus Christ in his words before a sinful and adulterous nation no one finds the cross of Jesus easy but it's not just something in our head it's not just a creedal affirmation it involves the self-denial and self-renunciation that is involved with coming and following Jesus Christ. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It may be foolishness to the world, but it's the power of God to us. The holy and just God took upon himself the judgment we deserve. He have vicariously assumed our role as sinner in order to turn away his just wrath. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we confess, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. And we're committed to taking up the cross and following Jesus. It's one thing to believe in the cross, it's another thing to take up your cross and follow him. As Peter said, to this we were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. So accepting the cross of Christ is not a passive act. It's a personal, passionate, public commitment. We get the confession right. We get the commitment right because of the grace of God. Cross-bearing means obedience to everything that Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom stands for. The church which preaches the cross, as we do here at the Advent, must itself be marked by the cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting,